This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas. I didn't do a show last week. Because I did not have power, I did not have electricity, I did not have water. I don't need water to do the show, but I need electricity. But we are back today with an incredible show, really kind of a miracle. I had, last week I was saying to myself, I made a list, who in the world today, if I was a young man coming out of college, would I want, who, would I, who would I look up to? Who would I try to model myself after? Who would be an example? And I made a list. And on that list, I had Governor Mike Huckabee, Eric Metaxas, Sam Brownback, Dan Lipinski. Uh, If I was a woman, I'd have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard. Well, they're, they're examples to me anyways already. Well, today, today we're interviewing Mike Huckabee, the Governor Mike Huckabee. And I asked him, Where do we go from here? Mike Huckabee was governor. As you know, he was governor of Arkansas. He ran for president twice. I campaigned. I worked for Sam Brownback in the primaries in one of those election cycles. And that was kind of painful for me because I so greatly admired both of them. Uh, He had the number one show on Fox for, I think, six years, the number one morning variety show, Saturday variety show, weekend variety show. And he has, I think... The greatest show on television today on TBN, the Mike Huckabee Show, it's a variety show that's just got a sense of life that's like Mike Huckabee, very special. We talk about where do we go from here? Rush Limbaugh, what got Mike Huckabee into politics? Does he get swept away by the bitterness of the age? How how can we not be swept away? We talk about that. We talk about the Uyghur. We talk about, you know, uh, a a lot goes on in the show. And it's a, it's a shorter show, th- about 30 minutes. Um, so, yeah, this is the first of what I'm going to do of, 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 you know, role models for the age. And as always, this show is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Go to movietomovement.com. Check out our new movie, Divided Hearts of America. It's everywhere you watch films. So Amazon, Redbox, uh, you know, YouTube, you just go there and you can download it or you just go to movietomovement.com and it will show you the different places where you can download the show. This episode is also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world, from the Uyghur and Chinese-occupied East Turkestan to the child in the womb right here. Go to thegreatcampaign.org. If you become a monthly donor with a gift of $20 or more, you... Get a free copy of my book with John Zmirak, The Race to Save Our Century. And you know what, guys? Now for about two months, over two months, I have been sleeping with my pillow. And it has made an incredible difference. I have to confess, I have also given up caffeine, but that's only been about four days. So quitting caffeine doesn't get any credit, and this could be a failed mission. I might be back on caffeine in a week. But it's been four days, and the first couple of days are the hardest. But I will say this, with the my pillow and the Giza Dream Sheets, 
I have never slept better. You know what makes my pillow so amazing? It doesn't go flat. You can wash and dry it. I went into depth on this earlier. You know you need to be washing that pillow. It is made in the USA. If you don't have a my pillow or you know someone who doesn't, now is the time. I had the craziest dream last night. And I, I'm not giving my pillow necessarily the credit, but I dreamt. This is a true story. And I woke up and I told my wife, I'm going to put this in the my pillow commercial. I dreamt last night that I beat De- Deontay Wilder in a, uh, uh, in a, um, what do you call it? A uh, three round, two minute round. I, I remember it was like three rounds, two minute rounds. I sparred Deontay Wilder, the baddest heavyweight boxer in America. I beat him. I didn't knock him out. And I consoled him at the end. I said, Deontay, I don't have that knockout power you have. And then I woke up and I said to my wife, I got to tell this story in the, uh, in the MyPillow spot. I don't know if MyPillow gave me that amazing dream, but it maybe did. And I'll say this too. If Deontay, if you're listening, I'm sorry. You know, Muhammad Ali said, if you even dream of knocking me out, you better wake up and apologize. So I'm apologizing to Deontay Wilder for that dream. But I will tell you, I have never, ever, ever slept better. And do you know, I love the pillow. I love the mattress topper. The Giza Dream Sheets are special. Right now, Mike is offering a buy one, get one on his Giza Sheets. Made with the world's best cotton called Giza. Grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's long staple cotton. I don't know what that means, but I will tell you this. It is ultra soft and breathable. It's a sateen weave, and it gives them a luxurious finish. They're available in multiple colors, styles, and sizes. Machine washable and durable. 10-year warranty. 60-day money-back guarantee. The first night you sleep in my sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. That's what Mike Lindell says, and I concur. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener square. There you will have uh, amazing deals and opportunities available to you. Use the discount code Jones when you go to MyPillow.com. And for you old-timers or or, or some of you young Luddites, you just call 800-876-0708. That's 800-876-0708. And you use the promo code Jones. Where do we go from here with the great Mike Huckabee on the Jason Jones Show? Aloha, Governor Mike Huckabee. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thank you, Jason. Very nice to be with you. Now, you know, it is a real privilege for me, and I just, I want to thank you for your life and for your service and and how you lived on the on the world stage. And just a week ago, I was thinking to myself, if there was one man I could talk to about where do we go from here, and I and I and I was thinking, I'd like, you know, there were just a few names that came to my mind, but the first name that came to my mind was was Mike Huckabee, and and and, and the reason I thought of you is is just how you've carried yourself, and also, you know, you can tell a lot by a man by his children and how your daughter carries herself and not just your virtues but your utter lack of guile and in a in an age filled with so much smallness 
Um, and many of us can be swept away by that. I know I am from time to time. I thought, I want to talk to, to, to Mike Huckabee and ask him, you know, where do we as a citizens listening to the show, you know, what would you tell us on, on where we need to go from here, where we are as a country? Well, Jason, we're clearly very divided. I don't think anybody doubts that. And some people are in despair over it. They feel like this is it. We're sort of in a spiral and we can't pull out of it and that there's no end other than a uh, thud of a crash that's uh, up ahead. I refuse to accept that or believe it. History is cyclical. It's not linear. It's not that it's always going in one direction and never changes. It tends to repeat itself. Um, someone far wiser than me, and I'm trying to remember the person who was the source of this, said that if you don't learn from history, you're bound to repeat it. And we're repeating some history that we should have learned from. But, but I'm an optimist. I am not going to lose my sense of humor. I'm going to continue to believe that, first of all, God is bigger than all of the people who are against him. And the scripture teaches us that. It says, if God be for us, who then can be against us? But I meet a lot of even believers who are down in the dumps about life, and they just feel like there's nothing to get up in the morning for. And I, I just want to shake them and say, have you not read the end of the book? We win. Let's don't play the third quarter like we're hopelessly going to lose. Um, it may not look good even in the middle of the fourth quarter, but it's going to turn out okay because the book's been written. So anyway, what I would say to people is that, yeah, we're going through some very challenging times. I think there could be some pain ahead for many of us who hold to biblical values. Uh, we're virtually hunted in these uh, cultural times we're living in. But no matter what happens, it doesn't change my responsibility to be faithful to the one who's called me. So I don't mean to get preachy, and I hope I haven't gotten a little overly spiritual, but uh, sometimes people look at everything as if the world is political first and everything else after that. I, I tend to totally dismiss that as nonsense. The world is first and foremost spiritual, and everything else is after that. Yeah, and it's and, and part of being conservative is we don't want politics to seep into every element of our life, to invade every aspect of our moral imagination. And, you know, it's not just... You're also Pastor Huckabee. It's not just the end of the book, as you know. Read Acts. What do they go through? Read Joseph or Job or Ishmael and Hagar being thrown out. I mean, people suffer. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, after the election, I just, I, I read Acts. I sat down for a day and I just, I read through Acts. I read the Psalms. And that kind of grounded me. And, you know, I work a lot with persecuted people. I've been to Iraq and nose to nose with ISIS. I've had tea with I've actually had tea with Al-Qaeda in Sudan during the genocide. And I've mm. seen real sorrow and suffering. And so sometimes I think we forget that with even in the midst of all the struggle and hardship, we are truly the most privileged, blessed people that have ever walked the face of the earth. Our, our ancestors have left us this beautiful republic that even though we're going through a hard time, there have been a lot of hard times before, harder than this. Um, maybe not as strange. This is kind of strange time. But we have a duty, don't we? We have a duty to preserve this, not only to pass down to our, our posterity what our ancestors left to us, but, but to be that city on a hill when we see so much tyranny spreading around the world. Well, Jason, I think the biggest problem is not that times are hard. They've always been hard. The, the real issue is that people have become soft. That's where we're hurting Ooh. today. 
because my parents, my grandparents, they went through times way harder than anything I've yeah. ever experienced, but they were not soft people. They had to stand up and meet the challenge, whether it was World War One or World War Two, or the Great Depression, uh, dealing with the lack of education and still had to put food on the table and clothes on their kids' back, and they successfully did that. Uh, you know, I grew up as the first male in my entire family uh, in the history. I mean, no male upstream for me ever graduated high school. Not my father, grandfather, great-grandfather, not a single male upstream for me ever got out of high school. So I look at my life and I'm thinking, what am I complaining about? Life's been incredibly good to me. Tough times? Sure. Yeah, there have been some rough moments and bumps and bruises along the way. There'll be some more. And at one point, this life of mine will come to a conclusion. But I want to live it in such a way that when it's finished, I hear six words from the God who created me. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how much money I've accumulated. It doesn't matter whether I got elected to what I saw or whether or not I was famous or had best-selling books. What matters is if God evaluates my life, and he deems me having been faithful. That's the success point. You know, you've managed to be engaged in this battle on the public stage and not, not at least you've never demonstrated that you've been swept away by this and been angry or bitter. And it used to be you'd have to kind of put yourself on that stage to be attacked by the mob. But now you can be a homeschool mom that posts something on social media, and the next thing you know, the whole world is attacking you like you're running for governor or something. What advice would you give to those? You know, how have you avoided or, or have you at times struggled with bitterness and, and had to wrestle with that? Or, or how have you avoided it? And what now everyone's a target. Anyone who wants to take a stand anywhere is going to have to take sometimes as much viciousness as only those who've presented themselves for public office or where celebrities had to face. What would your advice be to those of us who are being attacked on Twitter or Facebook? Maybe it's just by our family, friends, and neighbors. But it still hurts, and you might get swept sure, away yeah. and you get angry. Well, what would your advice be? Well, it, it's very difficult to not be angry and want to retaliate. And, and we need to be able and willing to fight the right fight, but just make sure that we're fighting in the arena which the game is being played. In other words, NFL players hit hard, but they hit inside the boundaries of the lines of scrimmage and in the field. They don't do it in the locker room. They don't do it in the parking lot. We've got to make sure that we're playing rough, we're playing to win, we're playing hard, but we do it within the boundaries of the game itself. So whatever that game may be, whether it's politics or business, whatever. But something that one of my pastors in the years past used to say to us that really rings true, and it's simply this, hurt people hurt people. Mm. We need to ask ourselves, why are these people trying to hurt others? And the reason is, is because they themselves are deeply hurt and wounded. And one of the things I've tried to do is to ask myself, why is this person lashing out so angrily and, and with such bitterness? They don't even know me. And they're calling people names and wanting to get us canceled and fired and removed from public life. Why is that? And, you know, when you step back, you, you realize hurt people hurt people. These are people who have deep, unresolved bitterness and hurt in their own lives. And rather than dealing with it by saying, why didn't somebody help me to understand how to love myself and love the world and love the people around me. Instead, it's like, I want others to feel the pain I feel. 
So one thing I've tried to do is to realize the reason I don't want to strike back is because that person's already hurting. That person's already mired in his or her own sense of self-pity, lack of self-worth. I heard a Georgia state senator say something that I thought was very powerful. He said, truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Think about that. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. When people say that my holding to biblical values is hate speech, or that anything that I say that disagrees with their point of view is hate, the reason they hate that is because truth does, in fact, sound like hate if a person hates the truth. They don't want to be ever told, hey, you might be wrong about the biblical role of marriage. You might be wrong about the sanctity of human life and its origin. So if people hate the truth, they're going to think the truth sounds like hate. Yeah, that's, that is really beautiful. That's something I had to learn. My inciting incident into politics and media was the abortion issue. And as a young man, I was an atheist, an Ayn Rand objectivist, but because of a personal experience in high school, I got involved in the pro-life movement. And um, I was naive to the fact that why were people so angry at me when I had my campus club? It's because I was touching on something very intimate to them. And it took me yeah. till I was maybe in my late 20s or early 30s to be thoughtful that it's not that they're angry at me, it's that I'm reminding them of a very, a very painful event in their life, maybe the most painful. And, and so whatever the topic is, right, it could be um, and when, you, and when you put yourself out there. We don't know, but that's beautiful. It's their pain, and they just want you to hurt. And why would you hurt somebody that's already so addled with pain that if they weren't addled with pain, they wouldn't be trying to hurt you? Yeah, they would, they would have a, a perspective of life that was joyful and uh, happy, and, you know, there would be a sense of, of engagement. They would say, you know, you and I are very different. We don't think alike. Can we sit down and I'd love to find out why you think the way you do? No one ever asked me that anymore. They used to. Um, honestly, up until probably six or seven, eight years ago, people wanted to engage in conversations with me as a conservative. I'd go to college campuses because they wanted me to come. And I mean, I think they thought they were going to you know, teach me something. And uh, let me be a pincushion to the students. They were shocked when I didn't go up there and yell and scream, but I answered their questions with questions back to them and often made them think about what they themselves were thinking and forced them to take their own view and follow it to its logical conclusion. And the end result was that many of them realized if they followed their own viewpoint to its logical conclusion, they couldn't live with it. And I didn't have to tell them, hey, you're wrong. They brought themselves to that conclusion by recognizing they'd never thought through their own point of view. Yeah, Lord Acton said that if we were to take our political positions to the metaphysics, if we were to take it all the way back to what it really meant, that we would fight over the smallest political battles like they were religious wars. And so in a, <laughs> in a way, it's good sometimes, I think, that people, but you walk them back to what does it mean to hold this position? Well, what does this mean on a whole, if you're, deny the dignity of the child in the womb. For example, I just published an article. I think the day that Biden betrayed the Uyghurs was actually the day he sold out the pre-born. That was the day he said that his ambition is more important than the dignity of the vulnerable. And so decades mm -hmm. ago was when he made that decision that led to his statement last week that the worst genocide since the Holocaust is a 
Chinese cultural norm. I can tell you, Governor, my wife's Chinese, and genocide is not a cultural norm of the Han yeah. Chinese. Um, but it, it's that root issue, denying the fundamental dignity of the human person, that erupts in so many sorrowful ways. What was the issue for you um, that was your inciting incident to run for office? And is that the same issue that compels you with fortitude to have, to have stayed in the battle for so long? Well, the issue was uh, the sanctity of life. And for me, it was uh, way back in the 70s. And it, it became very apparent to me that a culture that would devalue its most vulnerable citizens, those who could not speak for themselves, who had no voice except the voice of either parents or advocates, when those voices and those lives could be snuffed out because they represented an inconvenience or perhaps they represented uh, a financial burden, then we had then established a new template for dealing with uh, people, not just the unborn. But if I can say that this unborn child is going to be financially cumbersome to me, or it's going to interrupt my, my life, my, my social life, and I can't deal with it, so I, I have the right to get rid of this child, what happens at the other end of the spectrum of life when that person who is now elderly is a financial burden, which he or she will be, especially if they're in long-term care. And it's not only a financial burden, but it's a social burden. Uh, hey, family, we can't go to the lake this weekend because we got to go see grandma. Oh, again, how can we have to do that? Hey, let's just give grandma a shot. She's really not able to do anything anyway. Let's take her out. Now, I'm not being facetious because the point is, once you've devalued a person and decided that some people just aren't worth as much as others, you've created a culture in which now human beings make decisions as to the worth and value of others. And it can be as arbitrary as whether the person has an IQ of a level that we accept whether the person is of the gender that we want. Thus, many abortions in this country are gender-related abortions, where people have an abortion because they really wanted a boy, they didn't want a girl. So they abort the girl that they were uh, going to have and try again to get a boy. I also want to make very clear, Jason, and this is very important to me to say, in every abortion, there are two victims. We, we talk about the victim of the baby sometimes exclusively, but there's another victim, and that's the birth mother who sometimes is talked into the decision. Maybe she's unaware of the implications of the decision. But the birth mother who aborts her own child often experiences intense guilt and anger and extraordinary psychological challenges years later. This is something that I didn't fully understand until those years uh, that I was a pastor. And often I found myself sitting on the other side of a desk of a woman in her 30s or 40s who was bawling her eyes out, just overwhelmed with a sense of guilt and grief because when she was 15, she had made a decision to abort a baby. Now she realizes she would be the mother of a child who might be 20 or 25, 30 years old. She's now had kids, they're growing up, and she feels like, what did I do? Or what would that child have been? And even if the child had some physical uh, abnormalities, they still say, I did something that I can never undo. It was an irrevocable decision. I learned a lot from listening to, uh, to those women who had had the abortions. 
Do you think as a pastor it has helped you because you gain that sort of sense of empathy so that as maybe a lot of politicians, when they, they receive a lot of hate, when you're a pastor, you have a, a very diverse community of folks in your church with sure. different opinions, different struggles. Do you think that sort of inoculated you from a sort of a bitterness that maybe many politicians after a long career suffer from? Oh, I think so, Jason. In fact, I've often said that no one is better prepared to get into political uh, life than pastors for the reason that they see a level of human life no other profession sees. Uh, the pastor in any community is the one person who can put a name and a face to every social pathology that we have as a culture. If it's a 14-year-old girl who is pregnant with an unplanned pregnancy, she probably tells her pastor before she tells her parents. Uh, the pastor is the one who's in ICU at two in the morning when a family is making the decision to unplug the artificial machinery that's keeping a person alive and make the decision to donate their organs. Uh, the pastor is the one who's there with a young couple whose two-year-old has died of leukemia. Uh, I, I could go through a long list, but my point is, name any other profession in which people are front and center from birth to the grave, from the best and the worst of every single human experience. It's the pastor. That's who it is. And yeah, you do get a sense and perspective that I would never have had had I been a lawyer or an insurance executive uh, or been in any other profession other than having been a pastor in a season of my life. You know, you um, you recently wrote, I, I write for the stream as, as well as you do, and I, was, I read your, um, your words on Rush Limbaugh. And I, I thought they were, they were very beautiful. And you said, you just kind of, I think, summed it up by saying he loved America. Now, he was from Missouri. You're from Arkansas. Do you think you had a, a similar view and vision of what America is as Rush? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, people misunderstood Rush. They failed to recognize that one of his primary motivations was to entertain people. He entertained them by introducing them to principles and uh, precepts of truth and political views. But he, he always, at the end of the day, he had a good time. And, and he wasn't trying to belittle people. He was accused of it every single day. But a lot of it was he was poking fun at the inconsistencies of people and their hypocrisies. One of the reasons so many people on the left hated Rush Limbaugh and even hated him in his death and said horrible things about him when he died, for heaven's sakes, is because he held the mirror up and forced people to look at themselves. And a lot of people do not like what they see. And rather than blame what they saw in the mirror as themselves, they just blame the guy who held up the mirror. And, and that really was what Rush Limbaugh did better than anyone I've ever known. He put the mirror up and said, oh, feminist, let's see. You believe that women are superior until they're not. Oh, let's see. Um, let's take people who are worshiping the environment. You worship the environment unless it's convenient for you to fly in a private jet rather than take the commercial flight, flight that the rest of us have to do. I mean, that's where he was an absolute genius. And so many of his critics never understood that about it. Yeah, yeah and, and because he was so focused, I think, as being an entertainer, that really showed his love for the audience. He wanted to lighten their day. I remember when I got out of the Army, was I had two children. I was working the night shift at Home Depot and going to community college. And when I would drive in the car from um, 
you know, from school to home for my three hours of sleep between school and, and working at Home Depot, I would listen to Rush and it was just the brightest part of my day because he made me laugh. It wasn't even the politics. It was just the lightness of it all, the joy, uh, his, you know, the smile that emanated through, um, those speakers. And you, and I think of the folks all across the country or for 30 years as they did, as they did their hard work, um, their burden was made easier thanks to Rush Limbaugh. Well, and again, his genius was his sense of humor that he made things that were very serious, but he made them funny so that uh, it's like putting a little bit of Novocaine on the needle. So when the dentist puts it in your mouth, it doesn't hurt quite so bad as it would without the Novocaine. Uh, Rush's humor was the Novocaine that he put on the needle before he uh, stuck it to us, if you will. Right. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and he knit us together, right? A broad diversity of people listen to Rush Limbaugh. It wasn't, they try to create this idea of who the Rush Limbaugh audience was. I have friends across the political spectrum, all across the country that, that listen to Rush. And I think it was that sense of humor that knit an audience together. You could listen to Rush if you were a kind, open person, um, even if you disagreed with them. Just like, you know, we used to be able to turn on Johnny Carson and you didn't have to worry that you were going to be bombarded with, you maybe they they said something he said something you disagreed with, but you didn't think it was an attack on you, and I feel like that's what it was with Rush. And now I think people are going, where do we go from here? People are like, well, you know, I'm going to miss Rush. What do I listen to? You have a show on TBN, and I I I don't want media to control me. I want to control it, and I love TBN on demand. Um, tell us about your show. I think it's a it needs to be a part of what what people put into their media strat. I have a strategy. There's all the things I want to listen to. There's things I have to listen to. Um, tell us about your show and how people can, can, uh, can watch and listen. Well, the Huckabee show on TBN is, uh, really a unique kind of, uh, retro show. If you will, it goes back to the days in which there was variety. People could sit down and watch an hour of wholesome television, would not raise their blood pressure to 300 over 200. Wouldn't be overly preachy. It would be fun. Uh, I like to say we have just enough politics to keep it interesting and current. And we have some of the top uh, newsmakers in the world on the show. But we also have very inspirational people who are doing phenomenal things in the nonprofit world. And, and as volunteers, we, we highlight people that have never been heard of but need to be heard from. And then we have fun. We have comedians, magicians, mentalists, uh, ventriloquist. And of course, we tape the show in our own theater in Nashville. So you can be absolutely assured we're going to have music and we have some phenomenal music. So it's a variety where people can sit back, enjoy an hour's worth of very informative, inspirational and entertaining television. It's on Saturday night, 8 and 11 Eastern, 7, 10 Central. Again, on Sunday night at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. It also runs on Newsmax. So uh, there are lots of ways to get it. You can get it online at Huckabee.tv. It's on every cable system, every satellite system, Facebook. You you know, you have to work hard to miss the show. Yeah, no, and I love it. And what I love about it is exactly what you said. It's like the old days where you could watch uh, any of the late night shows and not have to worry about, you don't, you don't want your blood pressure to go up, <laughs> you know, you you and you want the whole family to to be able to sit around and, and watch together, and your show is unique in that way. And I'd say it's a one of a kind. 
in that way. Um, I want to close the show on one last question. We have a half okay. our audience is around the world. And, um, you know, the line of gesture of this show is really to advance the interests and the dignity of the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the child in Darfur to the families in Chinese occupied East Turkestan, the Uyghur. And sometimes, you know, we're so blessed, we're so privileged to live in this constitutional republic. And maybe this is more of a question for you as a pastor, but what would you say to those activists in Hong Kong or the Uyghur in the diaspora across Europe and Turkey and the Christians in Iraq and Syria and Nigeria? Yeah, they're different religions, but different ethnicities, but they're sort of all been thrust in this position of vulnerability. What, what would you tell them? Where should they go from here? They had an administration. They had a secretary of state that front shelved their interest, gave these groups a lot of hope. And I think now there's a lot of despair. What would you say to them? Well, I would say to them that uh, political powers come and go, but the word of God and God's spirit is constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yes, there may be consequences, some very harmful and painful because of uh, decisions that other people in other parts of the world made politically. Uh, But God will never leave us. He will never forsake us and never give up their hope and never, ever despair. Well, I appreciate that, Governor. I really just, I'm grateful for your life, how you've lived it on the world stage, the example you have been to all of us, the fortitude that you've had to stay in the battle for so long, and that arrow that you fired in that wonderful daughter of yours, that um, she is so charming. I think there's two women. I was like making a list of sort of role models for young people I could share, and and I, I, it was a very small list, and I had two women on the political side. Maybe you could give me more. I had Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and I had Tulsi Gabbard. And, and, I just, and then I had a few guys. I had Sam Brownback, Eric Metaxas, Governor Mike Huckabee. But the example that your daughter is to so many of us and her charm, her grace, her dignity, uh, her sense of humor. Um, you know, a friend of mine once said that it's not individuals that will save this republic, but families. And um, so I thank you for your life, and I, I thank you for your family. And it's, a, it's been a privilege to have you on the show. Jason, thank you very much. God bless and take care. Aloha. What a blessing. What a privilege to have Governor Mike Huckabee on the show. What a kind, what a gentle, what a good man. An American original. Make sure you go to TBN or MikeHuckabee.com. His show is one of a kind. It is really the coolest show on television. And you can watch it on TBN on demand. I like to control my media. I don't like to control I don't like it to control me. But you do you should never miss um Mike Huckabee's show. If you long for those days of those variety shows that we used to have so many of, right now we have a million channels with all this content. And some of it's good, I have to admit. But what I miss, what we don't have, are those beautiful, charming variety shows. And this show has that Mike Huckabee sense of life. All right? You have to check it out. This episode has been brought to you by Movie 2 Movement. Go to movie2movement.com and check out our movie, Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson. Order the movie and give it five stars and write a great review. Or ten stars. I think it's ten stars. I don't know. I don't know what Amazon does. But for this podcast, it's five stars. We're a five-star podcast. Click, give us five stars, and write a review there as well. This episode has also been brought to you by The Great Campaign, The Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.com 
org and become a monthly donor so you can be standing shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable. Monthly donors get a free copy of my book. And of course, mypillow.com. Use the code Jones. You know when you listen to those bigger shows and they tell you to use their code? Go, ah, thank you for reminding me, Eric Metaxas. I need to use the code Jones. Even though I was listening to your show when the bell went off, you still want to use the code Jones. All right, until next time. It's 76 degrees today. It was 10 degrees four days ago in the wild, wild hill country of Texas. The Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh,